Hello. It's April 21st, 2022. My name is Simone, and this is 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and are having a great start to your week. And we are now officially starting season four of the show. This season is going to have mysteries, missing persons, massacres, and everything else. And before we begin, I'd like to do a small disclaimer. On the show, I obviously talk about crimes from the 90s, but I do realize that victims in these cases have loved ones, and I'm in no way trying to make their cases entertainment. I'm just fascinated with these crimes, and I'd like to share them with you and possibly bring awareness to how heinous many people can be. Also, today's premiere episode has to deal with a few cases of domestic violence. And due to this, I'd like to say, listener's discretion is advised. And finally, with that, let's dive in to Season 4's premiere. The year was 1993, and in Glendale, Arizona, a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, about nine miles away, had a population of a little under 150,000. And because the city wasn't too small, plenty of its inhabitants had plenty to do. Whether it was have fun and mingle at one of the city's annual festivals, or have a gathering at a nearby ranch, the people of Glendale had their options of leisure. Also this year, since Phoenix is so close, lots of Glendale flocked to the capital city to have even more fun. In that year, in 1993, Arizona as a whole had a lot to celebrate. That was because their beloved basketball team, the Phoenix Suns, had made it to the NBA Finals. However, even though the Suns were prepping hard to win the championship, one of their players wasn't in such a winning mood. For this player, he had a situation bigger than the game that had his attention. And once his quote-unquote situation was handled, it would make headlines. In the following case, you'll find out who this player was, the situation that had him unnerved, the investigation, and the shocking aftermath in a case I title, The Favor.
In early 1993, 27-year-old Althea Hayes was an aspiring singer. It's unclear about most of her upbringing, but what is known is that she was born to Alvin and Hazel Hayes in a devout Christian household. According to reports, Althea was a resident of Glendale, and while she was pursuing her singing career, she got a job at a bookstore in Phoenix named the Mustaf Collection. The Mustaf Collection was a popular bookstore, especially with the black communities in Phoenix and the surrounding areas, because most of the books and products here were showcased specifically for blacks. This excited Althea because she was a young black lady herself. And even more exciting for her was who owned the bookstore. He was a young, 23-year-old man named Gerard Mustaf. But Gerard wasn't just your average bookstore owner. He was a power forward for the NBA team, the Phoenix Suns. According to reports, Gerard was born Tara Gerard Brown in 1969 to a single mother in North Carolina, where he was primarily raised. From most accounts, Gerard's upbringing seemed to be typical, but when he was around the age of seven, his biological father, Shahar Mustaf, suddenly appeared in his life and told Gerard he wanted to be involved. It's assumed that Gerard welcomed his father, but to his mother's family, they thought Shahar had other motives. You see, as Gerard grew up, he grew to be very tall, taller than a young boy his age, and they thought Shahar only came back to Gerard once he thought he could be good at sports, specifically basketball. However, to Shahar, according to the New York Times, he came back into Gerard's life because he quote-unquote saw himself as part of the army for black liberation. His son would be his sword and shield, end quote. Shahar felt angry with how the country and the world treated black people in his mind, and he wanted to make his voice heard. But he needed someone to protest with him, his son. After all, even though Gerard was still very young, by now he was very tall, and Shahar felt Gerard could be some sort of protester or militant with him, and possibly protect him. Over the next few years, it's unclear of the activities the father and son did together regarding protesting. But when Gerard turned 12, he spent a summer in Maryland with his father and attended a basketball camp. Shahar knew his son was going places, and a year later, with permission from Gerard's mother, Gerard moved in with his father permanently to Maryland. While raising Gerard, Shahar apparently told him about the struggle black people faced in the country and brought Gerard to even more protests 
commanding change for black life and strife. They would walk picket lines and sit in union halls. But Gerard, who eventually changed his last name to his father's last name, Mustaf, never changed his love of the game of basketball. And he apparently had no issues living with Shahar. However, according to a report, Gerard's mother changed her mind and tried to get him to come back to North Carolina. She wanted him back so bad that she and a family member drove to Maryland to bring Gerard home. When they got to him, he got in the car, but then he had a change of heart and jumped out and ran away, back to his father, where he remained. Fast forwarding to his teen years, Gerard kept getting better at his basketball skill, and by the time he was in high school, Gerard became one of the biggest basketball stars, not only in his high school, but in his region. And due to his skill, by the late 1980s, college basketball recruiters began knocking on Gerard's door. Shahar encouraged him to pick what was best for him, but to make sure he chose the right pick, he encouraged Gerard to ask the recruiters different questions that was the best for him and his race. For one, Gerard would ask recruiters, quote, what percentage of your university's faculty positions are held by blacks? What percentage of your black students actually graduate? End quote. He and Shahar would also ask them to list the number of blacks in the athletic department and the amount of business the university did with black people. And according to reports, these questions would often offend, if not downright anger, many of the recruiters. But Shahar and Gerard were firm with their questioning until Gerard chose to commit to the University of Maryland, whose coach was black. According to reports, when Gerard started playing in Maryland, he was apparently neither bad or exceptionally good. But after two years at the college, with the permission of his father, he decided to try for the 1990 NBA draft. Even though he didn't shine as bright as he did in high school, in the 1990 draft, Gerard was picked 17th overall by the New York Knicks, where he apparently did modestly during his first year. Gerard was eventually traded to the Phoenix Suns, where the staff and team believed he would be another big star for them, just like Charles Barkley. But to their dismay, Gerard wasn't as good as they thought. Even though he had a multi-million dollar contract, he mostly sat on the bench. But with his money, Gerard invested a lot in typical things, such as cars and other expensive items. But he also invested a lot into the community, and started the bookstore like previously mentioned. At the bookstore, Gerard hired mostly younger staff like himself, including his cousin, Lavani Vonnie Wooten, in 1991. Vonnie had recently been released from prison in North Carolina, where he served 14 months on drug-related charges. Gerard's father urged him to help Vonnie out since his release. And in return, Vonnie was ecstatic 
that his family was willing to take a chance on him so he could get a new start. But unfortunately, just two years after he started at the bookstore, Gerard and Vani argued over a bill. And apparently things got physical at the store. According to reports, Vani told police Gerard hit him with a phone. And in response, they charged Gerard with aggravated assault, and Vani filed a civil action against him. Vani then quit the bookstore and moved back to the East Coast. Despite the fight, Gerard continued working his MBA career, the bookstore, and other business ventures, such as operating a talent agency. According to a report, Gerard also had a pregnant fiancé, but apparently their relationship wasn't the greatest. Because apparently, while his fiancé was eight months pregnant, she discovered a letter to Gerard from a woman living in Florida, claiming Gerard was the father of her child. When his fiancé confronted him about it, Gerard apparently fired a gun through a wall near her, and she filed an assault charge, which was later dropped. Also during this time, Althea was hired at the bookstore, and not only was she excited to be working for an NBA player, she was also excited to learn that Gerard operated a talent agency and that he could possibly help her start a music career. When the two met, there seemed to be a mutual attraction, and even though he had a fiancé, Gerard began a sexual relationship with Althea. Althea thought he was a catch and it was a thrill. But when she informed some of her family that she was dating an NBA player, they told her to be careful because many athletes had a reputation for being playboys and hurting their spouses and girlfriends. Meanwhile, Gerard's fiance had since given birth since the gun incident, and she became pregnant by Gerard again not too long after the birth. But this time, she decided to abort the second pregnancy. By the spring of 1993, Gerard was still sort of a lackluster player with the Suns. And now, he was officially separated from his fiancée. But he still hooked up with different women, including Althea. He was living it up, but that was until Althea came to him with some news. She was pregnant. It's unclear what Althea thought Gerard's reaction would be, but what she probably wasn't expecting was Gerard asking her to have an abortion. Possibly hurt, Althea told Gerard she planned on having the baby, but Gerard begged her to terminate. According to reports, after he pressured her into having an abortion, Althea told friends and family that since she refused, Gerard acted differently towards her and barely spoke to her anymore. 
And when he did speak to her, he would offer her money in the thousands to abort her pregnancy, which she still refused. And she continued working at the bookstore and to care for her unborn baby. By the summer of 1993, the Suns had made it to the NBA Finals with their opponent being the Chicago Bulls. And while most of the players were focusing on winning the trophy, apparently Gerard was doing anything but. It wasn't because he didn't want his team to win the finals. He just had other pressing matters, such as welcoming another possible baby into the world. Like mentioned before, Althea still refused to abort her baby. But according to reports, she told loved ones she began to grow not just sad, but fearful of Gerard's attitude towards the situation. Althea apparently felt Gerard would do anything to force her to not have the baby, and she told almost anyone who would listen, including her parents and even medical staff who tended to her prenatal care. In one report, it was stated that nurses became very concerned when Althea would talk about Gerard, and she would become very emotional, upset, and concerned about her well-being. And in return, they'd refer her to counselors, but it's unclear if she actually went to talk to anyone. By July 1993, Althea was at her wit's end while trying to be strong for her unborn child, but she was so afraid at the same time. So afraid that on July 21st, she made a call to a cousin begging them to get her a ticket out of town. She was that fearful that something was going to happen to her and her baby. Meanwhile, on the same day, after their big blow-up at the bookstore years earlier, Vonnie and his girlfriend made their way back to Phoenix because he and Gerard were to make amends. A day earlier on the 20th, Vonnie had received two plane tickets for he and his girlfriend from Gerard to come back to the West Coast, and Vonnie's mother allegedly received $1,500 from Gerard to cover rent on her apartment. When Vonnie and his girlfriend arrived in Phoenix, they stayed at Gerard's home. On the evening of July 22nd, around 10 p.m., Vonnie's girlfriend woke up from a nap at Gerard's house, but she didn't see Vonnie and questioned Gerard about where he was. Gerard apparently responded and told her, Vonnie went out to handle business. A short time later, Vonnie returned wearing odd-looking clothes, all black with a knit hat, and he told his girlfriend to pack because they were driving to California, where she still had a home. Although confused, she did as she was told, and she and Vonnie immediately left Gerard's home. 
and soon they were out of the state heading to California. And according to reports, as she was driving out of state, she noticed Vani disassembling a handgun and throwing pieces out the window. Meanwhile, back in Arizona, Alvin Hayes, Althea's father, grew concerned when he hadn't heard from his daughter after two days. So to check on her, he went to her apartment and knocked, but there was no answer. So he was able to make his way inside her unit, and when he looked around and finally got to her bedroom, he came across a sight no one should have to see. There on the bedroom floor was the body of his daughter, 27-year-old Althea Hayes. Horrified and distraught, Alvin called for emergency personnel, but there was no hope. Althea and her unborn child were dead. According to the medical examiner, she had been dead for around 48 hours, and she had been shot three to four times with two shots in her head. During the investigation, police learned from Althea's neighbors that on the evening of the 22nd, they heard what sounded like gunshots or fireworks. And police also learned from a friend of Althea's that shortly before 9.30 p.m., she called her and said, quote, Gerard's cousin Vani is over here right now. So if anything happens to me, you know who is here, end quote. Police were unsure who this Vani was, but once his name was presented as a relative of Gerard Mustaf, they decided to contact Gerard, who Althea's loved one said they really needed to look at. The same day Althea's body was discovered, Vani returned to Arizona, and Gerard and another one of Gerard's girlfriends took Vani to a mall where they bought him a new suit and then took him back to the airport where it's believed he went back to North Carolina. The next day on the 23rd, Glendale police questioned Gerard about Althea and the murder, and he apparently told them he knew who she was, but she was not a girlfriend, and he didn't know she was pregnant. He was also presented the information that he offered Althea money for an abortion, but he adamantly denied this as well. He told police that he was entertaining guests at his home around the time Althea was murdered. Even though Gerard was denying almost everything he was questioned about, police still side-eyed him, but they wanted to take a look at Vani as well. 
On July 26th, police tried to call him, but he didn't answer. But shortly after, he returned their phone call. On the phone call, Vonnie denied knowing Althea, but then he backtracked and said he may have met her once before, and he told a detective that he flew to Phoenix on the night of the 22nd, then backtracked again and said the 21st. He said he flew there to visit his girlfriend's cousin, who was still living there, and once played for the Arizona Cardinals. However, when police investigated his alibi, they discovered some cracks in his story. For one, Vonnie's girlfriend's cousin was out of town at the time of the murder, and they discovered from people who worked at Gerard's bookstore that Vonnie and Althea knew each other well, but police still didn't have enough evidence to arrest him or Gerard for Althea's murder. Three months later, however, Detectives learned Vani had dropped the years-old bookstore-related assault charge and the civil suit against Gerard. And on the day Althea's body was found, Gerard curiously wrote a $10,000 check to purchase land in North Carolina, which he was going to use to build and operate a disco, and which Vani was to manage. The Glendale police had gotten more information but were at a standstill. But after nine more months of questioning witnesses, including Vonnie's girlfriend and Althea's loved ones, police had enough evidence to now charge and arrest the now 28-year-old Lavani Wooten for Althea's murder. On April 8, 1994, Vonnie was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, burglary, and witness tampering. Burglary charges were added because he illegally entered Althea's apartment, and witness tampering was added because Vonnie apparently tried to coach his girlfriend on what to tell police. A week later, Gerard was summoned by a grand jury, but through a lawyer, he invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And by doing this, Gerard was able to remain silent on the murder. By this point, the Suns had lost to the Bulls, therefore losing the finals. And in September 1994, the Suns released Gerard, ending his NBA career. In late 1995, Vonnie's trial began. And it's not quite often that the prosecution and defense agree on something. But in this case, they agreed on one thing. Vani's cousin, Gerard Mustaf, was the mastermind of Althea's murder. But due to a lack of evidence against him, Vani Wooten was the only one that could technically be tried. Vani's defense added, though, their client was innocent and that maybe Gerard set up the plan, but another one of his associates pulled the trigger. The prosecution even offered Vani a plea deal if he admitted Gerard was the mastermind, but he never did. Therefore, after two weeks of trial, which according to reports shockingly received little media coverage, even though the case was connected to a professional athlete, 
a jury found Lavani Vani Wooten guilty of Althea Hayes' murder. Even more shocking was that when the verdict was read, Vani smiled, hugged some of his defense team, high-fived some of his supporters, and as he was being led away to prison, he yelled, Peace. Later at his sentencing on January 30th, 1996, Vani was spared the death penalty and given a life sentence for murder, 21 years for the burglary, and nearly two years for witness tampering. He has since appealed his conviction, but it was denied. To their bittersweet delight, Althea's parents sobbed tears of joy because their daughter's killer was brought to justice. But they told the media there was no justice because they believed two people were responsible. That second person being, of course, Gerard, who did not show up at any point in the trial. After he was released by the NBA, Gerard resumed his career in Europe, but that was short-lived as well. He tried to play again in the NBA, but no team would give him a chance, maybe because he was lackluster with the Suns. But Gerard believed it was because of the murder, and he even told the press about his dismay about not being able to play, saying, quote, I've been convicted without a trial. What about innocent until proven guilty? End quote. Shortly after Vani's trial, Gerard also settled out of court with Althea's parents with a wrongful death lawsuit, claiming Gerard had summoned Vani to Phoenix for the, quote, express purpose of carrying out the plan to kill Althea Hayes, end quote. And the two parties settled for an undisclosed amount. After the civil trial, prosecutors and the defense still tried to bring Gerard to justice because there was no statute of limitations. But they still didn't have enough sufficient evidence against him. However, According to reports, the prosecutor of Vani's case received a phone call from a former fling of Gerard, and she told him that when she went to visit him in Europe, he accused her of stealing $10,000 from him. He then called and left a voicemail allegedly saying, quote, I will recover that money by any and all means. If you don't believe me, you better ask about me in Arizona. End quote. The voicemail was apparently turned over to authorities, but Gerard still never faced charges with the threat or with Althea's murder. Years after the murder and trial, Vani remains in prison, and now Gerard, after several failed business attempts, went back to Arizona, where he allegedly runs nonprofits. And although he has never really been implicated in Althea Hayes' murder, the statute of limitations remains open. The story of Althea Hayes' murder comes from the sources of the New York Times, the Washington Times, Sports Illustrated, and others I'll put in the notes. All right, so now for my opinion 
on this case. It is one of the saddest cases I've heard, and I don't believe that Althea has gotten the justice she deserves. Um, so in this opinion piece, I'm not going to really say his name um, because I have my own thoughts about this case, and I just I don't like this whole situation pretty much. Um, but I stumbled across um, this case while researching other 90s cases, and I had never heard of her case. Um, this sort of reminded me of the Ray Carruth case. I did this episode a season or two back, and I think a lot of you have heard of that case where he was a former uh, NFL player, not NBA player, but NFL player who had his pregnant uh, uh, former fling. Uh, she was a former fling um, and she got pregnant and he wanted her to have an abortion. She said no and he had her killed and wanted his baby killed, but luckily he survived. And um, um, it's quite obvious that to me and to a lot of people um, that I've seen on message boards that the former NBA player had something to do with uh, Althea's murder. And um, like, why would, because like, why would Vani have a grudge against Althea, especially to kill her? That makes no sense. They just worked together. Um, maybe there was something that we don't know about, um, but I just, it all, all the signs are pointing to the former NBA player. And backtracking to his younger years, the former NBA player, um, according to an expose by the New York Times, his father had pressured the basketball player's mother to have an abortion himself. So I wonder if this had any correlation as to why he wanted the women he got pregnant pretty much uh, to have abortions. And maybe the basketball player's family was right um, that his father only came back around because he felt he could use him because of his stature. Now, sort of bounced around, but I just, I'm not saying you have to take after your parent, but it just seems really odd to me that it, it was like a, kind of like a deja vu, like his father apparently did the same thing to his mother, uh, the basketball player's mother, like, oh, get an abortion. She refused. And it's like years later, this is happening with him. And um, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't, uh, the basketball player's father didn't love his son. Uh, that's not true, but maybe sometimes, I mean, it has happened when, you know, some people aren't there for your life for years in the beginning and all of a sudden they can see you as some type of benefit. Um, I'm not saying that happened by any means, but it could be a, it could be a thought. Um, I also read that unfortunately after he left his mother's home, um, the basketball player, uh, his relationship with his mother has pretty much been tarnished it's been strained um in one interview i read that she said she's felt numb about him um they don't have a relationship at all it's none of my business but i thought i'd put that out there it's just very sad and um ever since pretty much he got big or moved to maryland um they haven't had a relationship um moreover i'm just kind of confused as to why he um only had to settle the civil lawsuit. Um, number one, he had a history of um, violence against women that's documented. Um, apparently, even in his uh, undergrad days and college days, he had another assault against a woman. Um, apparently, she got pregnant by him. And I'm not sure if that was the woman in Florida who sent that letter. But there's a woman in college who apparently got pregnant by him. And she ass he assaulted her. And I don't know what happened with that case, but I don't think he's ever been sentenced to anything um, regarding assault against anybody. Um, and then there's 
Althea, which breaks my heart, uh, she wanted the baby and apparently she was trying to file child support against the basketball player because, duh, <laughs> he helped create the baby, but he didn't want that. And I believe it was due to greed. He didn't want to give his money to her or only uh, or any of the other women. And that's why I believe he had something to do with Althea's murder. It's just obvious to me he was involved in some way, in my opinion, I, you know, I'm not in the law. I'm not in the legal system. I can't say anything because apparently there wasn't enough evidence against him. But uh, to me, all clues point to him. And also when the basketball player told Vonnie's girlfriend that Vonnie went out to, quote, handle business, it was obvious what that business was. So not too long after, you know, they find out that um, Althea has been murdered, unfortunately, but um, when Vonnie told his girlfriend he owed the basketball player a favor, um, to me, it was like, did he really have to kill someone? Um, because the favor was apparently he'll give. I think that favor was having that disco in North Carolina, because why all of a sudden would he um, purchase land and have a business all of a sudden? And um I think that's kind of ridiculous, like a disco, <laughs> a disco, like maybe a nightclub, but it's all blood money, but maybe a nightclub, but a disco, like that sounds a little lame for the 90s, in my opinion. Um, but we'll never know what that favor actually was. I think that's what the favor was. But like I said, I don't know. Um, lastly, apparently, Vonnie did an interview and he pretty much said he didn't want to implicate the basketball player in the crime because he didn't want to turn on his quote unquote blood, like his family members. And um, he went on uh, when he was found guilty, like, let me backtrack. Sorry guys, let me backtrack. When he said he didn't want to go against his blood, like, I don't think I could just go down for something I didn't do alone, uh, family or not. But like I said, he may have threatened him. I don't know. Or maybe he really wanted that nightclub and thought he wouldn't get caught or that disco and thought he wouldn't get caught. I don't know. But what stood out to me about Vani was that when he was sentenced or found was found guilty, he went out smiling and hugging and high-fiving and yelled peace. Like, wow, you're going to prison for a long time, if not life. And um, you're, I mean, I guess you took, you took it the way he could in his mind. And I just believe Althea has not gotten the full justice she deserves and her baby, too, because we can't forget about her unborn baby. And um, there's possibly uh, more than one person responsible. But I'm going to leave that there and let you draw your um, own conclusions. Because this, like, this, like I said, this case makes you really sad. And I'm glad I stumbled upon her case because I was kind of surprised that I haven't seen much about her case or heard about this case until literally like late last year when I was looking up another case. And um yeah, I believe Miss Althea Hayes deserves better, her and her unborn child. Um, but that's it. Um, thank you for tuning in to another episode of 90s Crime Time, and I hope you were intrigued. I'd like to know what you think of this case instead of me um, talking all the time um, on 90s Crime Time social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, because like I mentioned before, this case really makes me sad. And I don't believe uh, Miss Althea got the full justice she deserved. And um, lastly, if you enjoy the show and you haven't already, please leave a review, hopefully in a good way, 
on any podcast platform that 90s Crime Time is on and has a rating system, primarily Apple. So please help me out with that and hopefully give the show at least four stars. Uh, Lastly, stay safe and healthy and I will see you soon for a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time.